And welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jonathan Ball here, joined as always by my guys, Andrew Tursky and Chris McCormick. What's going on? In studio today. Silence. In studio. The boys are back together. In studio. Well, Almost. okay, two out of Almost. three of us are in studio. I'm, I'm still... I'm still going remote from from the house, but you guys you guys are looking good with the fully equipped uh, logo there in the back. That's it, making it look good, making it look good in the studio. I know, I know. I got to tell you, it's well, it's, it's a lot there, better there than is... being in an airport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you do spend a lot of time in airports and and on the East Coast, so it, it is good to see Chris back in the studio this week in Arizona. We have a lot to get to. As far as gear, but first off, let's do a little mea culpa here. We forgot to to announce winners for these Alice Cooper golf balls. We did. We left the people hanging on Alice Cooper signed golf balls. Yeah, this was this. I I am surprised that we didn't get any. I was waiting for some some listeners to reach out and ask where the the golf balls were going. But Tursky, I know you've got a couple. Oh, there they are. Tursky has them in studio, the signed Alice Cooper golf balls. If you did not listen to episode 100 of Fully Equipped, we had rock legend Alice Cooper on. It was awesome. You should go back and listen to it. If you listen to it once, you should listen to it again because it is that good. Tursky, who's one of those golf balls? What's that? Who's one of those golf balls? Who's one of the got? golf balls? You got some balls. names for All right, me? so we got two, two Alice Cooper signed golf balls. We also have two uh, poker chips. Alice Cooper Solid Rock Foundation poker chips that I'll be sending along with the golf yes. balls. Uh, oh, nice. I didn't know those were going with them. Yeah. Very cool. Coop was okay. kind enough to uh, give us some poker chips as well. If you're using them as a golf ball marker, make sure to be courteous to your fellow playing competitors and move the, the <laughs> poker it, chip out of the way. Yeah, use those for the guys that you hate. For the guys that you hate in your foursome, the ones that you don't want to play with, always use the poker chip. Dude, okay, so, trust me. So for so for the post, we had uh, the entrance tag a friend to enter. So what I'm yep. going to do is just randomly select the one post that has the two names. So the username of the person that entered and the person that they tagged. Right? Makes sense. Okay, let's do it. So I'm going to scroll randomly. Someone someone say stop, and I'll pick the first name. Here we go. Get a little little drum roll. Is that a drum roll? All right. That's a terrible drum roll. <laughs> it is a drum roll. It's a terrible one. Was that it? Was that the stop right there? That's it. All right. Who yeah. do we got? Okay. So we have the Jaden Bayer. J-A-D-E-N-B-A-I-E-R. Along with D. Thompson 21. So congratulations to Jaden Bayer and D. Thompson 21. Two. Callaway, All right, you're Alice gonna... Cooper signed golf balls, and two Solid Rock Foundation poker chips. Congratulations. That's awesome. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll be reaching out to get your details to send those along. That's, uh, it's, a cool, it's a cool giveaway in addition to the driver, which we also gave away, but I think we already, we already have a winner. I already actually spoke to the winner. I shouldn't say we have a winner. We do have a winner. Yeah, we gave away uh, yeah, so Callaway Epic Speed, right? Gave away Callaway Epic Speed. Yep. Specked out and everything the way they wanted it. So it was a, another fun giveaway. Thanks again to Callaway for making that happen. So giveaway is done. We have some gear topics. This first one, I didn't lead off with it this week in gear notes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit something. I was trying to go with a little bit of clickbait in this week's 
gear notes. Uh, let it off with Rory. Jay Wall, you know, it's the clickbait artist. We'll, we'll talk about it briefly. <laughs> yes, I know. I, I am I am admitting it. I, I succumbed to the clickbait. I don't really think it actually worked. I think I think readers are a lot smarter than I am. So, but this was the story that caught my attention. So, Webb Simpson, friend of the pod, we've had him on before. He has he has a I wouldn't say it's an interesting bag setup, but it's one that that I don't think you see a lot on tour. He only has three wedges, and his wedge setup is is an interesting one. So he starts with a, or I guess he did. He starts with a forty seven degree Titleist six twenty MB pitching wedge, and goes from there into a Vokey fifty four degree. Now that's seven degrees if you go from 47 to 54. That's a pretty big, I mean, Chris, would you agree that's a pretty big gap even for a tour pro? Yeah, yeah. So you see where I'm going here. Um, Aaron Dill, who's Vokey's tour rep, we've also had him on the pod. Lots lots of friends of the pod here in uh, in this in this little gear nugget. Um, worked with Aaron Dill. Worked from JJ over at Titles as well. And and Aaron mentioned that because of the large gap from the 47th to the 54, it often forced Webb to throttle back on his pitching wedge or to have to go after it hard with a 54. So it, it kind of left a weird yardage gap. And when you consider that pros have, I mean, the money you're playing for, the, the quality of the field week in, week out, you've got to be crazy precise with your scoring clubs. And Webb just kind of had this weird yardage gap where he just really didn't have like a full swing with one or the other. It was it was really like he had to kind of finesse it or go after it hard. So what they decided to do was close the gap. So they kept the 47 degree pitching wedge, but uh, Aaron Dill put in a 52 degree as well as a 56 degree. So Webb previously had 47, 54, 60. 54 to 60, six degrees. That's still pretty big. Um, but this is the interesting part, Chris, and this is what I want to ask you about. When golfers change their yardage gaps, let's say you go from three wedges to four, they typically, and this is only from talking to like average golfers, they typically tend to just figure out the new gaps for their wedges, but they forget that sometimes that part of the bag can have a chain reaction for the rest of the bag, which is what happened here. So not only does Webb add another wedge to go to a four wedge setup, but he now has to make adjustments to the rest of his bag. So he removes his 620 MB six iron. He weakens the loft on his five iron two degrees from 27 to 29, strengthens his seven iron one degree, and adds loft to his hybrid from 24 and a quarter to 25. I mean, I would call that a chain reaction. Chris is looking at Tursky right here. I mean, have you ever heard of one that that created this big of a chain of reaction? That's there, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, I mean, is. that's uh, that's yeah. a whole retune, go through, relearn every club in the bag. I mean, for a uh, for a tour player to make those types of adjustments, that's that's pretty significant. I mean, especially somebody that's played that three wedge system for so long. That's a uh, that's a total overhaul and and learning all those new gaps or all the new yardages rather. Yeah. And that's got to be committing to a long-term change at that point. Cause you can't just like immediately turn that back. No, 
no, there's there's a lot of work that went into that and definitely a lot of work to be done just to get comfortable with that new setup, for sure. I mean, more often than not, when we're working with majority of our players, we get the uh, we get the scoring zone of the bag dialed in. And then in those proximity clubs in the long game, that's where we start to take away. I mean, most of us out there in the amateur world aren't going to go pin hunting from anything outside of about a buck fifty, buck sixty. So we can afford to get rid of, you know, one of those two hundred plus yard clubs and and not really see much impact on the score as the uh, the scoring zone gets tightened up, and that's where the biggest impact in the score happens. So yeah, he's retooling the whole bag. That's a huge change. I'm gonna ask a possibly was... dumb question here, but if you have a six twenty, <laughs> <laughs> if you have a six twenty M, but ask it a six twenty MB pitching wedge that measures forty six degrees, and you have a Vokey forty six degree wedge, what's going to be the difference in performance between those two? Like they should technically fly the same distance, probably, right? They're going to be really close, and really close. And it starts to beg the question on weight, and then also the material that the head's made out of, length of shaft. I mean, there's a couple of small little things, but I mean, I wouldn't necessarily expect there to be a dramatic difference between those two clubs. And a lot of players will pull that that pitching wedge specifically in a set like that mm-hmm. and replace it with that 46 degree uh, lofted Vokey type wedge. I think it's something about the shape. Definitely. Or just the way the wedge looks at a dress where I feel like I would be more comfortable using uh, a Vokey type, like a specifically made wedge as my pitching wedge instead of the set pitching wedge. I feel like I've always kind of struggled with the the iron pitching wedge for whatever reason. Sure. I mean, that's not especially when I'm trying to take like distance off. No, that's not uncommon at all. I mean, you, you do have a little different grind, a little different bounce, turf mm-hmm. interaction with a different sole camber. So, I mean, a lot of players will put that blade style wedge in place of the, the pitching wedge of the set. And especially as you get into your more accomplished players that want to hit those kind of touch and feel shots, the knockdowns mm-hmm. and be able to flight it. For sure. That's, I mean, that's not uncommon. Okay. Not as dumb as you all it's, thought. It huh? is in- no, no, no. Yeah, no. I know. Yeah. I was, yeah, expect- exactly. I was not, expecting not something thought, much actually. worse. The, the, one, the one thing that definitely sticks out to me on this is that Webb, as, as you were mentioning, Chris, typically when you're, when you're dialing in the bottom of the set, you know, the average golfer is probably, you're going to be removing stuff when you're working with them on the top end. I was just surprised to see Webb just remove a six iron. Like that's, that's kind of like squarely in the middle. And I know he uses more hybrids at the top of the set than the average tour pro, but that one was, that to me was, was sort of baffling. Like, wait, you're just going to remove a six iron and and adjust the loft. And two degrees is about as much as you want to, you know, bend an iron. I mean, cause anything beyond that, and you're going to really start to mess with the way the club's interacting with the turf. Sure. Kind of reminds me of a uh, Billy Horschel whose irons are bent so much that the number written on the bottom of the irons isn't even the iron that it is anymore. I feel like it's kind of common with tour pros to kind of just bend them and completely change the the iron makeup. I would, I would assume with some certainty that there was a lot of stat tracking that was involved in making Mm -hmm. that decision. Yeah. It said, okay, so if we look at my last hundred rounds of competitive golf, how many shots did I take with that six iron? Mm -hmm. How many times did I have that yardage? Mm -hmm. And if, 
that wasn't a number that came up and there's not really you know, necessarily a justification to have it in the bag and there's an opportunity to add an extra wedge and maybe tighten up some place that was leaking some strokes out there. And yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I will say that I've, I've talked to Aaron Dill before and they've done some testing with, with the Vokey pitching wedge versus, uh, say a standard blade pitching wedge. And based on the adjustments that they've made to the C, the CG, the center of gravity location within the Vokey pitching wedge, it actually has about a mile and a half, a mile and a half more ball speed. So, so it's you're faster you're than their iron, like three, like th- it's faster than the iron. Wow, yeah. it gives you about an extra three to four sense. yards. Yeah, yeah, it gives you about an extra three to four yards for people out there that that are maybe wondering. I mean, surely a, a blade Vokey would go shorter, or you know, you're you're looking for more workability and control with that. Well, no, you can actually get a little bit more distance. So, I mean, you would certainly want to go test it before you make that change, but. You know, I did a story last week talking about how many guys out on tour are using blade, you know, a Vokey pitching wedge versus one from their iron set. And it's about 50-50 now. You see a lot of guys who use it. And it could be because the the Vokey version or, you know, whether you're talking about like a Cleveland, um, you know, RTX, uh, you know, Callaway. I know that MG3 now from TaylorMade, they have a 46-degree pitching wedge that they put in because they're getting some tour pros that want to use that. You know, those can actually help. Um, soul geometry grooves are sometimes a little bit ramped up can help with flyers particularly and when you're talking about tour pros guys that are hitting out of a thicker rough on a weekly basis that can certainly help when you'll be able to displace a lot of that you know debris or water whatever so yeah there's certainly some benefits to going to uh, a non-set pitching wedge but yeah, that's uh, the six iron was the one that stuck out to me. But you, you, I think you're right, Chris. You know, Titles does a great job of tracking every club in the bag. Um, I've been wanting to do a story on on kind of their um, – they, they do a lot of really in-depth analysis on, on each club, and they kind of have a color-coded system that tells you, you know, maybe if there's a club in the bag that, that you might want to take a look at either adjusting or removing. So I, I do. I agree. I think that's probably it. So that was that was the most interesting one from the week. Web making, you know, a couple of changes that turned into a gear chain reaction. The other one that I thought was interesting is we keep seeing more guys either adding arm lock putters or or going to different versions of the arm lock. And we saw Will Zaltoris change up. He went from an Odyssey uh, arm lock putter to a Scotty Cameron Phantom X11 mallet. You know, still still similar with the mallet head shape. Um, Zal Torres, actually, this was surprising. He, going into Memphis, ranked 150th in strokes gain putting with the arm lock. Did you see how hard he expected him? Did you see how hard he yipped? Yeah, there was some pretty, yeah, yeah, there was, that was a pretty yippy stroke. Oh, man, it's like you got to change something up after that. Right. Well, he changed changed putter heads. Uh, the, The Phantom X11 is a it's been a pretty popular version. There's there's a variation. There's an 11.5 as a different different toe hang to it, and that's a putter that CT Pan, who won bronze at the Olympics, and also Max Homa, both guys also tour winners, have been using. So that that 11 head shape's pretty popular, 
And, you know, according to the titles tour of Drew Page, Will just like the way that that putter just sits on the ground. There's just something about the way that you can kind of sole that putter. It just feels like it's not rocking at all. And when you're adding it with an arm lock grip, you know, again, he, he, he had a good week. I think he finished inside the top 10 in strokes game putting. And for a guy that was ranked 150 going into the week, I, I think you're probably going to see it in the bag. So that's the more, you know, okay, sure, Will Zatorz is already using arm lock. Not that big of a deal. But Phil Mickelson, he at least briefly gave it a try. Turski's over here smiling. Um, this was an interesting one. I, I don't think I can recall a player doing what Phil did. If you if you know Phil's putter, he uses an Odyssey PM milled prototype blade. This is like, it looks like an, an old like Wilson 8802. It's it's about as traditional as you can get, even more so than an answer. It's it's like a true traditionalist blade. And Phil decides that he's gonna fashion an arm lock putter from this from this 8802 style blade. So it wasn't the same version. This this is a, a completely custom one-off. It was uh, 40 and three quarters inches in length with 6.5 degrees aloft lie angle at 72 and they had to make some changes because you just can't slap an arm lock grip on on like a standard putter you're going to have to make some adjustments um, typically that's why you see a lot of pros going to, to heavier mallet heads you know if you're just dropping an arm lock grip I mean Chris th that would that would cause you to get a different sensation for sure if you just try and go longer and and add a different grip yeah, everything changes with, uh, with the <laughs> putter. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> yeah. It's not even the same putter anymore. Uh, you throw a bunch of length on it, throw an arm lock grip on it. It's it, You need to go through a fitting process to figure out how much length you need to add, where that arm lock grip needs to sit. I mean, definitely the loft, loft. and lie change is huge. Yeah. I love that Phil's down to try anything and he's down to experiment and do crazy stuff with his equipment and his stroke, his technique and For sure. all that. I yeah, mean, you got to tip your I mean, cap we, to we Phil. Love Phil. But yeah. we, his, we, like, we love him. his normal putting stroke and just like how much of a feel putter he is, I wouldn't say he's like the top candidate, candidate for a guy who would absolutely kill it with arm lock. You wouldn't think. He's like very into out open to close with the stroke and arm lock it kind of you know it locks you in yeah a little bit more stabilizes the putter head but it's so different than his normal putting stroke i mean he has to give it way more than one round he has to like commit to it to three months right you would think but it's phil that's um, what i'm saying that's I mean, it was it was a it was a one round commitment one round <laughs> commitment one and done he, he went back to his yeah one and done he went back to his his oh, standard phil. prototype blade over the weekend, but there were some interesting changes because this putter has, has a, a, the sweet spots a little bit closer to the heel on these 8802 style blades. Phil actually had, they had to make some modifications to the head. So that's, that's why this head wasn't the one that he had been using. It was a totally custom. So they removed weight out of the heel and used aluminum. And then they put more tungsten in the toe to sort of act as an offset and you know it's it's just it's one of those things that you know I guess Phil's Phil's gonna notice the best players in the world are certainly gonna notice little changes like that the average golfer I mean I don't 
I don't know. I'm going to say no. I feel like that's an expensive build yeah. for that one round experiment. But it's Phil. Well, think about all it's the experiments yeah. that, that, that Bryson asked to do. Or that you know he asks and re- makes requests to to Ben Showman at, at Cobra. I mean, think of all the projects they've done over the years that maybe have gotten a couple of swings or never seen the light of day. I mean, that's that's the difference between uh, an elite tour pro and and a mid handicapper. You know, I mean, these guys ask for it and they get it. You know, a mid handicapper asks a OEM for even half of what some of these guys ask for, and they they get laughed off the the face of the planet. It's just <laughs> well that's to that point you gotta have two get a tour card and then go ask him yeah you go back to one of the uh the previous episodes when we had andy victoriano on after he was working with justin rose when Mm -hmm. rose kind of separated from hanma and all those clubs that he blueprinted and i mean before rosie even took a shot with one he's going through and measuring and weighing and i mean just doing all the legwork to see, okay, what even comes close to the spec that he wants to swing before he even takes a shot. So, I mean, you've got literally a pile of clubs that don't even make the cut for him to take a swing with just because there was potentially a spec that was off. Mm -hmm. And that's, they never even saw a swing. (laughs) That's wild. Must be nice. Yeah. Can Can I just say that, the more that I think about Armlock, the more that I'm starting to believe that maybe it doesn't go off the table. It doesn't go off the table. You're saying like not banned. Like I don't think I don't think the USGA is going to ban it. I maybe think it's just going to take the way time. I feel this week. They're going to ban it. It's just going to take time. Yeah. I I My just opinion. it's it's one of those it's one of those things where I've watched I've now watched some tour pros try it out, and it's like failed miserably. And some of the guys that have, have made changes, like Zal Torres is already using arm lock, but he was 150th in strokes game putting. He has a good week, but I mean, he just changed putter heads. It could be a honeymoon phase, but I just, I don't know. It, it takes, it, it, I, I agree with what you guys are saying. The one thing that you nailed was if you're going to try it, you've got to give it a real shot, like give it three months. And I don't think that's, if you're a tour pro or, or you're, you know, a 10 handicap, I think you have to give it a real shot. Like you just can't, Say, ah, oh, I mean, I, I saw Will Zaltoris and Webb Simpson and Bryson using arm lock. I think I'd be a great candidate for arm lock. Try it for a couple of rounds and say, well, this is this is crap. I didn't I didn't see a dif- didn't see a difference in my putting, so I'm going to go away from it. it. It is it is definitely one of those where I think you have to give it at least three months to see if it'll stick. How long did Xander have it in the bag for? It was like what three weeks, four weeks, maybe. I was. It felt like a hot minute. It wasn't in the bag for the Olympics, though. I know that. No. Kevin Kisner used it at at RBC. That was right after right after the Masters, and Zal Torres had that good week. He tried it. That did not last long. <clears throat> and now Kuchar's uh, going like reverse arm lock. That just still reverse. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know reverse, what he's doing. Just, yeah, I know. Reverse off the back arm. I I don't even like I like we've talked about. I don't even know how you do that. I don't even want to know. My my mind would be blown. I don't think it actually could comprehend doing reverse arm lock. So anyway, that's this more arm lock talk. Last topic I want to get into, and I've got some fun mailbag questions this week. One specifically for Chris, one for Turski, a few in between. Um, Rory, 
I mentioned at the, at the, at the top of the pod, he did make a change. So he had the Scotty Cameron 009 M putter in the bag. We, we've kind of continued to track that just because it's Rory and, you know, he's had a lot of success with a Scotty over his career, but he came back from, from the Olympics and in the first round in Memphis, he duffs two chips with a 60 degree from off the green. And he's like, you know, what the heck's going on? So he realizes, I, I mean, I don't know when he came to this realization that he's using a grind. He was using a TW grind. And, you know, the, that's a pretty intricate grind geometry on that. It was, it was more set up for the courses that he had been playing. So he'd been playing in Scotland. He played the Open Championship over in the UK. Then he goes to the Olympics. And so he just kind of found out that it really wasn't Rory. It was the fact that he was using the wrong grind. So what do you do? Place a call to TaylorMade and have him overnight you one because he didn't have, he didn't have a, his old MG2 grind that he, he has a low bounce grind on that he had been using previously before he had put the TW grind in the bag. So he goes back to the low bounce. Actually, it, it was one of those where I'm like, how much does that really help? It, it did. I mean, he, I think he lost something like three shots of the field around the green during the first round. And if you combine like his last 54 holes, he posted a, a positive strokes gained around the green number. I think he ended up finishing six and scrambling for the week. So it's, it's a minor thing that only really tour pros are going to have to deal with. I mean, average golfer, I don't know if you're really having to deal with something like that, but it just goes to show you these guys are so good at the way they manipulate their hands and go through the, through the turf that even the slightest adjustment, the wrong direction can, uh, can send them spiraling out of control. I think wedge fitting also does play a big factor into like just confidence in general. If you know you have the wrong bounce or whether it actually is or it's not, if it's in your brain, now you got that doubt in there. The chunks and skulls come into play. But once you have the right bounce or what's presumed is the right bounce, you know, you kind of freewheel it. And a guy like Rory, once he has that confidence back, what do you shoot, 366s in a row? That's I, think you, I think he was good once after he made that yeah. switch. <laughs> you see that with a lot of just bag setups. I mean, mm-hmm. guys that just don't have confidence in a particular part of their bag or a particular club in their bag. And you can see the hesitation. They pull that club knowing it's the club that they need for that shot. Mm-hmm. And it's just you see their demeanor, their just their overall body language change before they take a swing with this club they know they hate. And it's always interesting. I say if you have a club in your bag that you hate, replace it. Get yeah. rid of it. Don't hit it. Set it free. What's that? You've got three? I said set it free. Oh, set it, set it free. Set it free. Let it go. I thought you said I got yeah. three of them. I was like, oh, we got a oh, lot I, of replacement. I have way more. I have more than three. <laughs> Although I talked to Tursky about this, you know, I, I'm waiting to to try out that T200 titles T200 two iron that I was testing when we were out in Oceanside, and I was joking with Tursky when we played Bandon on the last day. You know, three woods that one club. I just hate it. I don't even know why I have it in the bag. I don't use it that often. I've never really had a lot of confidence in it. I'd rather go driver or long iron. And sure enough, we're like three or four holes from the end of our of our last round of golf at Bandon, and my caddy's like, "Man, you're gonna you're gonna hit driver into this bunker. Just hit three wood, and you'll hit it short." And I, like my eyes got big <laughs> as he like pulls out the three wood. I'm like, "Ah, oh, shit!" And sure enough, I absolutely nuke this three wood. 
I mean, I probably, I probably hit it like 285, I think was like the number I was walking off from just short of the bunker. I mean, it was, it was perfect. Next hole, I pound driver down the middle. And it's, if you've played band and trails before, for those that are out there that have 16th is a par five, it goes straight up the hill and you've got to, you've got to hit a good poke if you want to get on in two. And so sure enough, what club does he hand out from the fairway? Three wood. And what do I do with it? I smash it right down the middle, just off the green. And I told Tursky, I was like, dude, I was so ready to get rid of this club. The same thing that we're just talking about here. So ready to just send it (laughs) off into the sunset. Don't need you. So long. Goodbye. And now I'm having second thoughts. That three wood is smart. He was on the chopping block. He was like, I got to show up a couple times, like make my case to stay in Jay Wall's bag. Yeah. And he's totally I redeemed was, I was himself. Not, I was yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Pretty much. That's exactly what happened. So you can get the reverse, that club that you're ready to get rid of. Then you hit it a couple of times and, you know, you, you pull off some crazy shot and you're like, oh man, maybe I should keep this club in there. Yeah, may, so, maybe it's not so um, bad. Yeah. Threaten the timeout yeah, it, closet. It can't happen from time to time. Yeah. Ugh. Every club's in there right now. Like I told you, <laughs> they're, they're all in timeout. Um, we did have some gear releases. Don't want to go into them too deep. But this is, I mean, I would say it, it's, it's pretty much the beginning of the fall release cycle. This is, this is the time of the year where you're going to get some product releases that aren't going to be like mainline products. So like, for example, Callaway released a new Jaws full toe wedge. Full toe, man, full toe is so popular out on tour now. It was like the, the PM grind that, that Phil Mickelson created that had that higher toe. I mean, it's, it's a design that we've seen before. It's the Ping I2. I mean, most people know the Ping I2. The it's, full toe's a little bit toned down. Be... I would say it's a little bit toned down. It on is. The... Yeah, it's not as it, aggressive. It as, is yeah, toned the down. The previous the yep. yep. So it's it's not it's not all the way there, but it is it is a wedge that we've continued to see. I know John Rom Rom has how many of these? A couple of the full toes. I think. Yeah, I think at least two. So it's, it's just a, it's going to, it's going to give you a little bit of a higher CG with that, with that full toe. Um, it's still going to give you a lot of spin, probably more controlled launch and it looks really good. I, I mean, I love, I love the design, the way that they were able to reposition that weight in the toe. I actually think it looks good. It, you know, sometimes when you do that, it makes the wedge look funny, but they did, I think they did it in like a nice smart way with this wedge. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree, hundred uh, percent. We were uh, we were actually just doing some some testing with them the other day in the studio, and yeah, camber forward, camber back, laying the face open, hooding it down. It it just the footprint of it at a dress looks good, and like you said, Jay Wallace, some of them when you go to kind of lay your hands back and hit those high soft shots, they just look a little different at a dress and takes a little adjustment mm-hmm. period to to get used to that, but. Yeah, this one, kind of like we were saying, the toe is not quite as aggressive as some of the uh, the other previous generations. Looks good. It's not yeah. as like off-putting really, to the really eye. Nice. And the yeah. leading edge is a little bit square, so if yeah. you like hitting full shots from the fairway, it's a little bit better for that, a little bit more iron-like. But that's what I noticed with it was when you went and actually would camber it down a little bit to play some of those pitch and runs and things like that. Mm-hmm. It, it sat really nice, and you okay. were able to square the face up for some of those little touch and feel shots around the greens. But yeah, I mean, full swing as well. I like it. 
Yeah, it's 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 going to be a solid wedge edition. Um, you know, Folto ad, ad initially was just kind of a you know 60 58 60 degree more of a lob wedge because you could open that face wide and even if you caught it a little bit high on the toe like phil would sometimes do you could there's still grooves all the way up into that upper upper reaches of the toe so that was the first reason why golfers liked it was you could hit those mega flops and not have to worry worry about missing it um now you can get it in in even like mid wedge loft so this one comes in 54 56 58 60 and 60 Four. 64 is aggressive. Everybody, a wedge everybody Alice needs. Six, 64. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm sure he does. Um, so Guaranteed. this one has a September 9. September 9 release. It's 170. That's the, the newest product out this week from Callaway. And then TaylorMade, you know, we, we had Harry Higgs on last week. We went through our, our Bandon trip. One of the reasons why we were there was to test the new products. One of them that we tested was the new TaylorMade P790. Now this is a, this is an iron that I think you're going to see a lot of golfers. I mean, whether you're like a five six handicap all the way up to like a 15, 12, 15, would you say? I mean, would 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 you, Chris? I mean, if a twelve or fifteen wanted to hit this, would you let them? Hundred percent. I've uh, this is, and I, I tell people this all the time that that seven ninety covers such a broad spectrum of player. I mean, if they, depending upon kind of what their launch characteristics are. If they can hit somewhere towards the center with an iron, I'm putting this in the play. I mean, it, it definitely goes into the rotation of, of clubs that we're going to test. This thing is just a rocket ship, and the new one is is no exception. And it's got a ton of ball speed. The look is fantastic. Feel is really good. And now it actually launches it a little bit higher, which we were talking before we kind of jumped on the pod. It's... Uh, it definitely is an improvement over that first gen and that, uh, that 2019 release. Yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly got, uh, I mean, Tursky, did you notice, I noticed it like right off the bat when I was hitting the seven iron. I mean, my launch window was, was higher. Did you notice that as well when you were testing at Bannon? Launch one up. Uh, it had been a, been a while since I hit P seven nineties and like with every iron I test out, I'm looking at offset and top line immediately just to make sure they're not off-putting and they're not like no. so for for an iron that's really made to go all the way up to an 18 handicap it also all the, goes all the way down to a scratch player i mean a scratch player is not going to be completely thrown off so if you need that extra distance extra height um i recommend looking at the p790s for sure yeah, it. I was kind of telling Jay Wall again before we jumped on the air. Like it, the biggest thing that we saw with those first two gens of uh, of seven ninety was it was a kind of that mid launch iron and pretty low spinning. Now it still doesn't spin a ton, but they were able to throw some more tungsten in the head. They changed the speed foam configuration, so the CG is a little bit lower. We're getting that extra launch. You know how much less dense the speed foam air is compared to the speed foam material? I do. It's crazy. Tell, tell us. 69%. 69%. Pretty nice there. Nice. That is nice. Oh, that um, helps that CG so placement. What, getting it up. What What happens, man? Tercy and I are terrible. Uh, what happens when you when you go to a lighter speed foam oh gosh you're gonna make me laugh now what happens when you go to a lighter speed foam you guys are terrible just like i am uh is it allows for weight savings and so in this particular club they were able to pack in more weight 
to lower that CG. So we talked about the launch being higher on this product. It's because of going to a, a less dense speed foam and being able to kind of take all that discretionary weight and put it in the bottom of the club. I'm done. I'm getting off the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's a good man. joke. I knew that Chris. was coming. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, you, you just kind of slotted it in there nicely, and I went with it. And then I, I just Slot I can't it. help it. I, I look at I look at you two both laughing over there like five year old boys and real mature guys. I just, yeah, real mature guys. Real mature. Come on. So. Not that, even a little bit. If you want the full rundown on P790, uh, there's also a UDI for those that want a utility version. It, it blends pretty seamlessly. Love the cosmetics on these. TaylorMade is definitely going to a more minimalistic look. Uh, cleaner lines. It's not nearly as loud. Not to say P790 was loud, but just their overall line is just a lot cleaner and, and more subdued than in years past. These irons are going to be three through pitch with a gap wedge. I think they're 185 per club. And if you want a, a seven club set, I think it's like 1300 bucks. They also do graphite. Um, we have a full rundown again on golf.com on the, the new P790 line. So that's one of the two products from TaylorMade. The other one is the MG3. We had talked about Matthew Wolf being a guy who had originally put these in, one of the first guys to, to throw these wedges in the bag. Um, if you recall with MG2, they went to a raw face. And the raw face was designed to, uh, it, it produces, you know, going raw is going to give it a little bit of a softer feel, but it also adds more spin. And it was, it was one of those carryovers with the new MG3, but instead of just focusing on spin with every shot in the bag, TaylorMade really focused on that like 10 to 40 yard. So basically kind of those pitch shots from just off the green, you know, tour pros, they're looking for like maximum spin with these shots. So one of the things that TaylorMade did to kind of impart more spin on that raw face is they added these raised micro ribs. It's really tough to see. I mean, I was looking on the face. It's it's situated between the grooves, and these are going to add an additional 200 RPMs of spin around the green. So, you know, for the average tour pro, an additional 200 RPMs on those shots is is pretty huge. So that's kind of the big story on MG3. In addition to the fact that they're adding a 46 degree, I'm not sure if that's something that is going to be a big story for a lot of golfers. But as we talked about, I don't think it's a bad idea to to consider the idea of going to a, you know a tailor made MG3 pitching wedge, a Vokey pitching wedge, you know a Cleveland RTX, a Jaws, whatever. It's it's just it's worth checking out. And the fact that TaylorMade is doing this. You know, they did it with the Tour Pro in mind, but, you know, there are there are benefits to the, to the everyday golfer as well. I always have to throw in there, talk to your golf professional, talk to a fitter. Yes. As yep. Launch characteristics have to be there. And if you're going to start to uh, get rid of wedges in the set and supplement with traditional blade wedges, does require a certain skill level. Also, make sure that your launch parameters aren't compromised in those, those scoring clubs. Launch and spin. 100%. Definitely a good thing. You don't have to say which, but yeah. I'm just curious. Between brands, is there a difference in launch characteristics that you've noticed? Like when guys test, say they'll test a Callaway, a TaylorMade, and a Titleist. Oh, for Are sure. Are you seeing different launch even at the same Even at the same launch? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We'll yeah. get more into that at some point. We'll save that for another podcast, though. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's worth testing yeah, that'd be an interesting multiple one. manufacturers for sure. Okay. 
<clears throat> yeah, for sure. I would, I would, I would totally agree. Uh, these wedges, for those who are curious, are going to be 180 a piece, pretty in line with what we've seen from TaylorMade with their, you know, build and grind stuff. So, those are the three launches. I would expect the launches for the fall to just kind of keep coming. We've already, we've got a couple more in the hopper. I know that are coming next week, and uh, and just as we make our way towards the end of the year. We're going to get into the biggies. I mean, all the major manufacturers are going to be releasing new products. So we'll keep you up to date and give you the rundown on all the new stuff here on Fully Equipped. Before we get into this week's mailbag questions, we want to remind you this episode is brought to you by GlobalGolf.com, your online destination for the best selection of new and pre-owned clubs, tech, apparel, bags, shoes, and more. Their industry-leading try, trade, and buy program will help you play your best for less. Test equipment, range finders, and GPS units for up to two weeks with Global Golf's You Try program. Take advantage of their proprietary trade-in and get top dollar for your equipment. Higher trade-in values means more cash to upgrade. Plus, save 10% on qualifying products with promo code GOLF10. That's G-O-L-F-T-E-N. Try, trade, and buy only at GlobalGolf.com. Promo code GOLF10. G-O-L-F. T-E-N. All right. This is the part that I was most excited about. We had some good mailbag questions this week, and I felt like it was finally time to, to get back and do a proper mailbag, not just, you know, some trash questions about, you know, who's using what club on tour. Because you can't, you can't do a proper mailbag out of those. All right. We started off. This one's for Tursky. And, and, you know, this he didn't ask it specifically for you. But when he sent this question, Alex Dice, that is not, that's not a fake name. He really did reach out to me on Instagram and he wanted to know, what are your thoughts on putting opposite hand of how you swing? I'm thinking about putting right-handed doing, uh, due to being right eye dominant. what you think? That's funny. <laughs> that's yeah, a great it question. Is. Now why, now why, of course why, it's are, directed why am I asking Tursky? Yes, but why? Tell, tell the listeners why I'm why I'm directing this question at you. Listen, I've had a rough go lately. Nope, and... Just do it. Just come on. It's like a Band-Aid. Rip it off. Tell the listeners yeah, why I'm directing this question at you. Well, right now I have two different putters in my bag. One is righty. One mm-hmm. is lefty. Mm-hmm. So I did, I did switch to lefty like full time for an entire year. So I'm not completely new to playing opposite handed. But righty. And you shot what, 82? Yeah, I did. That was my low, but I couldn't break eighty. Kind of hurts. Stupid. That's so stupid. <laughs> At some point, I'll have I'll have to get back on it just so I could get below eighty. But so righty, my game is just deteriorating. Like with the short game, I get a little bit yippy with the chips and putting, especially within like eight feet. I think lag putting, I still kind of have it righty. But like within eight six feet, I mean, J Wall played with me. You know, I'll have birdie putts from six feet and three putts in play oh no. so <laughs> we've kind of switched over no joke. to let to lefty no joke. um i do have a spider like a mallet whereas righty i have the old terillion blade and i would just say it really takes like the yip out of it especially lefty i don't have all the demons that you know i've acquired from through the years and also just like the technique and stance where I'm kind of just pushing that I'm righty, but I'm talking about my lefty stroke. I'm kind of just pushing the back of my right hand out to the target instead of like trying to make a, a real golf stroke. 
I don't know. If, I'm not explaining this great. I don't know how to really explain my righty stroke, though. It's just like a little bit too wristy, and I just start feeling that right hand coming to play at impact. And switching to lefty just completely takes that out. Now with the eye dominance and like reading greens, like when I'm reading a green, I'll step over it from the right-handed side to kind of get my starting line, to get my eye on it. So it's still a little bit confusing with like eye dominance and what you're used to looking at and reading putts, but I would recommend it to someone who's like really, really struggling. But you have to be really struggling to try this because it's definitely a little bit ridiculous. Your group members are going to comment. They're probably going to make fun of you. Um, and just carrying around like two different putters, it's it's a little bit confusing, especially now because I'll bounce back between them like mid-round. If I have three three putts in a row righty, like I'm going to switch lefty on the fourth hole. You, you even have a, a Callaway sure out lefty wedge, and your, your bag is a mess, man. We were looking at it abandoned. It's it's a it's a disaster. It's in it's in rough sh- it's in rough shape right now, but it's it's in very rough shape. We got We got to clean. We got to clean it up. We got to get Chris involved. Have a uh, like have I an need to I need here. to take I need to take like just a couple days. Go to a short game area and just like figure it out. Like um, I haven't practiced really hard in a while, so I feel like that's also playing a role into the mental state of my short game. <laughs> so. To validate this question, I had two Canadian tour players played right-handed all the way through the bag. Mm-hmm. They're 60 degree and their putter left-handed. See, I'm not completely crazy. The way that they justified this was they grew up playing hockey. Okay. And their touch and feel with the left-handed stroke, we tested it for weeks before mm-hmm. I was finally on board with, yeah, let's go ahead and do this this left-handed wedge and this left-handed putter. We tested righty, we tested lefty, and this was over the course of a couple weeks, short game, putting. I mean, even kind of knock down and touch and feel shots around the green from 40 yards and in, and both of them were more consistent left-handed with the high-lofted wedge and putter. I think it's like, to me, it kind of feels like a tennis backhand. You know, it's like your forehand, you get wristy and fast, and you know your right forearm's turning super hard, and then the backhand is kind of just a nice control stroke that you're just shoving out. Sure. It just feels like you're a little bit more in control of faces and necessarily twisting as much and turning, and I don't know. And is it traditional? No. Is it what you would consider normal? No. But is it functional? It can be. Do I putt like super well lefty? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, these guys did. So it's not anything that I haven't ever heard of before okay. and I haven't seen be really effective at a high level. That's good to know. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're Canadian, so I mean, take that for what it is. But. <laughs> I feel like that was a pretty pretty solid answer right there. Also a good opportunity to point out Turski's ridiculous bag setup. So. Jay Wall just wants to laugh at me. I get it. It's fine. I'll take it. it. Yeah, I do. I, I, I need opportunities to, to laugh at other people because most of the time it's me who's the brunt of all the jokes. All right. Question number two and 2A are for Chris. Two and 2A. DJ, yeah. two parts. Two parts. All right. What do we got? Is, is distance gapping important for mid to high handicappers? He's a 13 and he constantly questions if you should add a four hybrid to the bag. I would say distance gapping for everybody is important. I mean, regardless of the skill level. 
it yep. i mean it kind of comes into play where you start to make the set composition or composition so i mean if you start to work on gapping and dialing in what your actual carry distances are and you get to a point in the bag to where you have some overlap I mean, there's nothing that says that we have to carry 14 clubs in our set to be successful and play good golf. So, I mean, if you go from a five iron and then transition into seven wood or even that four hybrid, or if you find that going from a five iron that you currently play into even a four wood and the gap is correct and you only end up with a... 12 club set a 13 club set as long as the gapping is consistent it doesn't necessarily matter what the composition of the bag is as long as the gaps are there so there's there's so many players that come in that have a full 14 club set and we start running through and testing and we find that two sometimes three clubs produce the exact same yardage and i ask the question why and well i i hit this one 200 and i hit this one 210 and i hit this one 220 and i'm going well Based upon our testing today, we hit all of these the same number. I mean, the carry numbers within a couple of yards and the total yardage is within a couple of yards. So in my mind, we can afford to lose at least one, possibly two. So it, it's not necessarily a, should I add a four hybrid? It's let's make sure we add the correct clubs to produce the distance gaps that we need. So that might be five iron to seven wood. That might be six iron to five hybrid to uh, four or five wood. You don't know until you do some testing. So don't get hung up on a 14 club set is my point. Love that advice, especially for super high handicaps. Like don't feel the pressure to put in 14. Nope. Don't need it. There's there's no, yeah, I totally agree. It's also a good opportunity to to remind people, go get fit. That's it. I mean, absolutely. You might you might not need fourteen, as as Chris said. You know, you might find out that you you only need twelve or thirteen clubs. And I mean, a lot of it comes down to if if you're somebody that plays the same golf course or the same golf courses, make sure that you have clubs in your bag that cover the yardages that you usually leave yourself with. I mean, if there's a par three out there that's two hundred and ten yards, and that's the tee block that you play, make sure that you have a club in your bag that you hit comfortably well. 210 and it doesn't make any sense to have something that goes 230 and something that goes 200 and then you go well this par three that i play every round of golf that i play i don't have anything that goes that number <laughs> you're making a lot of sense here chris i, I smell an maybe, article maybe too much sense i don't hear that very often <laughs> no, i appreciate that was there a 2a be an article in the future on this for sure 2a question um, is there a follow-up there 2a yeah. what do we got yeah 2A from DJ as well. Would Chris ever accept a head-to-head bowling challenge? Ooh. Oh, man. If, what he's if calling you out. Clock, calling him out. I was going to say, if, if we rewind the clock 10 years ago, absolutely. Right now, I I haven't touched a bowling ball in years. Oh, It's no excuse. Oh, it's, You it's got called out. Excuse. I mean, you got to take him up on it. We, we can get Nelly involved. We can get some uh, <laughs> some video cameras in there. We can make it a whole thing. I, I would I would like to say that I have absolutely no confidence in my bowling skills anymore. Can we have Nelly write a rap song that we could use as our intro? Then we could shoot the music video at a bowling alley. I mean, would he do it? Probably. Could we get him to do it? I doubt it. 
Okay. <laughs> Just wanted to ask. Because if it's available, I mean, that would be great. I mean, yeah, if that's out there, absolutely. But <laughs> I don't have those kind of strings, that's for sure. I think he denied the bowling match. I mean, it, Two A was a no. I was say, Chris, Chris is Chris is that's a no. He's given he's given the old uh, Rodney Dangerfield. Oh my arm! Oh, my arm. <laughs> yeah, I would I would respectfully concede. I would say that uh, I would have a lot of confidence in myself in losing that match. <laughs> I think I I think I think you'd totally you totally wax this guy. You're just gonna show I, up. And I don't even own a bowling ball anymore. That now that I, is shocking. That is shocking. I I do not even own a bowling ball anymore. I don't have shoes. I don't have a bag. I don't have a ball. And this is from somebody that used to have thirty bowling balls piled up in his closet. If he's if he's calling out Chris for a bowling match, he definitely bowls a lot. Yeah, and I he would, would say absolutely wax. Sure, I would yeah. say it would be my, would be my guess, and he would absolutely yeah. embarrass me. Oh uh, gosh. Well, all right. One more question, and this is this. I think of of the the ones I think has some pretty good insights or at least I think Chris is going to be able to provide some good insights. Neil Millam asks, "Can you explain how turf interaction works?" He he's asking because he's said that he thought that based on what he knows about turf interaction, you're supposed to be hitting the ball first and then the ground. And the reason why he's asking this is because he's a golfer who's been playing for 15 to 20 years, he hasn't gone through a proper fitting, but he's going to get a fitting and he's ready to spend the three and a half hours getting fit. And he wants to know what he should expect and be mindful of during the process. Sure. So, I mean, turf interaction is essentially just how the leading edge and the blade of the club work through the turf. So, I mean, if you look at all the varieties of different shots that you can hit, having the right grind and the right bounce is going to impact how that club interacts as it enters the grass. So, I mean, if you are looking at full swing, he's absolutely correct. The blade doesn't make any contact with the turf, ideally, until after the ball is struck. But when you start hitting some of these specialty shots and some of these knockdown shots and you're playing with camber and introducing the the club to the turf in different varieties of shot making then having grind and bounce be appropriate to how it is to match the angles essentially that you create that's important so if you're somebody that is relatively steep versus somebody that is shallow versus a picker or a sweeper i mean the different grinds and different bounces are going to make a difference as far as how crisp and clean you're able to make contact with that ball. So, I mean, I guess easiest way to explain that is you look at a player's approach to how they hit short game shots. And you'll see players that play the ball towards the front of their stance, players that play the ball towards the back of their stance, have a lot of shaft lean, have their hands even behind the leading edge. So that turf interaction is going to be completely different based upon those two or three different approaches. So having too much bounce or not enough bounce for those player categories is going to give you completely different results. So on full swing, you notice that there's not a lot of variety when it comes to fine-tuning grinds and bounces on irons, right? Mm -hmm. So we really start to talk about grinds and bounces when we get into wedges. And that's particularly because we play a variety of different shot types rather than just full swing. 
where we're getting ball first, then turf. So when we get into those specialty types of shots, that's where grinds and bounces really come into play. So during your fitting, your fitter should be able to explain to you how that club is interacting with the turf based upon your approach for those types of short game shots, for your pitch and runs, for your knockdowns, for your three-quarter and kind of punch shots and making sure that the turf interaction with those is even and not wanting to dig too much or catching the turf prior to the ball and then bouncing into the ball. So that's what fitters should be able to explain to you while you're going through that fitting. Hopefully that answered the question. All right. Well, I, th I thought that was a pretty solid batch of mailbag questions. Would you agree? That was fun. I like the mailbag questions. We should do more of them. Yeah. We, yeah, always, we say always say that, that and then yeah. we just save it for like a month down the road. <laughs> so to say, we're going to keep saying that. And that'll do it for episode 103 of Fully Equipped. No interview this week, but we do have some interviews in the hopper. Looking forward to deploying those here over the next couple of weeks. As always, if you're looking for more gear news, you can find us on social media. We're at Fully Equipped Golf on Instagram and at Fully Underscore Equipped on Twitter. Always appreciate you listening. See you next week.